What will you do with this precious gift of life? Whatever it is, you'll need effort to do it. Effort is the source of all achievement. It fulfills our aspirations. It breathes life into our values. And it turns our intentions into lived expressions of our being. Let only my skin and sinews and bones remain. Let my blood dry up. I will not give up until I have accomplished what can be done by human effort and endeavor. The Buddha. Okay, today we're going to explore how effort fits into the Buddha's Noble Eightfold Path, which, if you recall, can be divided into three arenas of training. One, training in wisdom. Two, training in virtue. And three, training in cognition. In the last episode, we finished the second arena of training, training in virtue, which encourages us to live in harmony with life so we can establish a peaceful heart. Establishing this peace of heart then sets us up for the final arena of training along the path, training in cognition, which aims to bring our inner world into harmony so we can establish a sustained clarity of mind. It does this by cultivating a skillful balance of effort, a stable mindfulness, and deep concentration. Today, though, we're just going to focus on the first of these three, effort. But before we do, let me just emphasize that each of these, effort, mindfulness, and concentration, are interdependent. Each relies on and supports the other. Just as each aspect of the Noble Eightfold Path relies on and supports the other, like spokes on a wheel. To show this interdependence, there's also a parable in the comments to the Middle-Length Discourses, a collection of Buddhist scriptures about three kids playing at a park that I think captures this interplay well. As the story goes, the kids see a tree with flowers at the top and want to pick them, but the flowers are out of reach. So one friend bends down and says to stand on her back. The tallest kid climbs up but hesitates to reach for the flowers because he doesn't have enough balance. So the third kid comes over and offers her shoulder for support. The first kid, standing on the back of the second kid, then leans on the shoulder of the third kid and is able to reach up and pick the flowers. In this metaphor, the kid who picks the flowers represents concentration which collects and unifies the mind. To collect and unify the mind, though, concentration needs support. It needs a boost of effort, the kid who offers her back, and it needs the stability or equanimity of mindfulness, the kid who offers her shoulder. Only when concentration has this support can it then gather the scattered clouds of thought and fix the mind firmly on the objects of awareness. All right, well, keeping the interdependence of these cognitive faculties in mind, let's go ahead and explore the art of balanced effort. To begin, I think it'll be useful to consider the Pali word for effort, which is virya. Now, virya is actually a much bigger word than effort alone. It has many nuances and flavors to it. So when we speak of virya, we can also think of it as energy strength, courage, vigor, vitality, resolve, persistence, and perseverance. 
In its most basic meaning, though, we can think of virya as our capacity for activity, the power to get shit done, our will. As I said, it's the source of all achievement. Virya, then, is intimately connected with our motivations and intentions. Together with mindfulness, it breaks us free from the inertia of our behavioral habits and tendencies of mind and allows us to move toward a more intentional life. Whether those intentions are motivated out of self-interest or love. This piece is important to understand because it suggests that virya can either be the source of joy or dissatisfaction. It can lead onward to peace and freedom or into landscapes of suffering. You can use effort to try and take over the world like Putin, or you can use it to develop generosity and kindness like the Dalai Lama. For our purposes, we will apply virya to free ourselves from suffering, to rid ourselves of greed, hatred, and delusion, to establish peace of heart and clarity of mind. We'll apply effort to keep us on the path of awakening. Now, to be really pointed, we'll apply our effort to what are called the four great endeavors. The first is to prevent any unwholesome states from arising. The second, to abandon any unwholesome state that have already arisen. Three, to cultivate and develop wholesome states of mind. And four, to maintain and improve wholesome states that have already arisen. Now, this is, of course, a tremendous aim, one that will last a lifetime. Virya isn't something that, once we have it, we have it for good. No, it takes continual adjustment to find the right balance, like walking a tightrope. It's a refined art. We need to stay aware of our current state of mind and adjust to what's needed at that time. The Buddha compared it to tuning a lute. The strings can't be too tight or too loose. So when we tune this instrument of our mind, we need to strike the right balance. We need to find the sweet spot between effort and surrender. Now, this may seem like a contradiction, but understanding this paradox is pivotal to our practice, and it's vital wisdom to carry with us on our spiritual journey. So how can we have an aim or intention and at the same time avoid the trap, frustration, and energy drain of over-efforting and striving? This addresses one of the biggest misunderstandings of Buddhism I hear from people. The Buddhism just leads to surrender and total withdrawal from the world or from personal interests and endeavors, that it leads you to sink into a blissful meditative oblivion of oneness. This is so far from the truth. Here, surrender doesn't mean passive resignation. It means that we surrender to the Dharma, that we face the truth of the present moment's experience and not pretend things are otherwise. This kind of acceptance still allows us to make effort. It allows us to work toward our goals and aims. And it does so without the grasping mind, without causing agitation to the system. It's an easeful effort that knows its aim, but is not strained by expectation, strained by wanting things to go a certain way, or to be a certain way. 
We can be mindful of the bigger perspective, our goal, but also stay present, open, relaxed, and responsive in each moment. Joseph Goldstein uses the analogy of climbing a mountain, which needs a similar balance of perspectives. When you climb a mountain, you need to know your goal or aim to hike to the peak of Mount Raymond, say, a local favorite of mine. But you also need to be aware of each step. You need to be aware of the terrain beneath your feet. You know, a tree may have fallen on the path, so, okay, you need to go around it somehow. Similarly, with our spiritual journey, we can keep our larger goal or frame in mind while also paying precise attention to where we are in the moment, allowing us to balance our effort as needed. So how do we know if we're applying too much or too little effort? Well, overstraining, desperation, expecting or wanting something to happen or to be different are all signs that our effort is too tight. These are all signs that we are in the wanting mind, whether it's expressed as greed or aversion, you know, wanting something to go away. We're not open and receptive to experience. So we succumb to feelings of lack, wanting, disappointment, frustration, restlessness, agitation, or despair. Effort becomes unhelpful when there's a forcing of the mind, rather than a relaxed, open, and receptive mind. Again, watch out for expectations or for any idea of gain you might be holding on to. The in-order-to mind or the if-then mind. Are you leaning into or away from the next moment? Does the mind feel tight and contracted? Or does it feel soft, open, and receptive to what is here? Again, from Goldstein, are you trying to push the river along? If so, if the strings of effort are too tightly wound, we need to loosen them. We need to sink down and back. We need to soften our heart and open the mind. We need to give up some control and settle into the truth of the present moment. We need to work with and be with what's there, with equanimity, interest, and compassion. On the other hand, if you feel that the mind feels lazy, lethargic, apathetic, dull, bored, or stagnant, this may be a sign that more effort is needed. When energy is low, when we find ourselves in these mind states, easily drifting or falling into a daze, falling into mindless reveries or daydreams, we leave ourselves vulnerable to delusion. If that's the case, if we find that our effort is too loose, we need to tighten it. We need to straighten our postures, check our attitude, and bring forward some strength, courage, patience, investigation, or perseverance. One way you can do this is by being a little more active in your noting. And I don't mean becoming analytical of your experience. I mean to just note it in a way that helps you bring a bare attention to the object of awareness. So the note should just be a soft mental note. Tingling, pleasant. Sleepiness, neutral. Dullness, neutral. Doubt, unpleasant. Etc. Again, We just want to put a small frame around the experience to allow us to see it more clearly as it is. We don't want to lean into the object. We just want to receive it. 
But engaging the mind in this way with noting, I mean, see for yourself, but it does tend to bring a little bit more energy to the system. So again, just check it out. Um, I actually just heard a funny story from Jack Cornfield that's relevant here. He said that when his energy was low, one of his teachers would have him sit on the edge of a deep water well to meditate. That ought to straighten up your posture and bring some energy to the system. Anyway, like I said, balancing our effort is an art. Have fun with it. And remember, it's going to take time to learn the appropriate balance. But to support you, let's explore some of the different forms and functions of Viria so you can start to play around with the dials and see what works best for you at various times along your way. One function of Viria is to provide strength or support. This dimension of virya makes me think of the idiom, it takes a village. As I said earlier, there isn't a single factor or faculty of mind that leads to freedom. It really does take a village. And when it comes to cultivating wholesome states of mind, the Buddha specifically mentions seven, which are known as the seven factors of awakening. They are mindfulness, investigation, energy, joy, tranquility, concentration, and equanimity. Virya in this form serves to support these other factors. It shores them up. The second century monk Nagasena, in his famous dialogues with the Indo-Greek king Melinda, describes Virya this way. Just as, your majesty, someone might shore up a house that was falling down with an extra piece of wood so it would not fall down, even so, your majesty, Virya has the quality of shoring up. Shored up by Virya, no skillful dhammas are lost. The Buddha emphasized something similar in the Dhammapada, saying, When we put in the effort and practice, wisdom grows. And when we don't, wisdom wanes. So, like I said earlier, it is this quality of Virya that keeps us on the path of awakening. It supports wisdom from waning. Here's a quote by the Buddha. Here, the noble disciple dwells as one who has produced strength for the sake of abandoning unskillful dhammas and arousing skillful dhammas. One is firm, of steady valor, unrelinquishing in purpose with regard to skillful dhammas. Another aspect of virya is courage an unrelenting expression of heart. This quality of virya is profoundly energizing and is absolutely crucial when, at times along our path, we run into difficult landscapes of mind that make us want to retreat to a place of comfort. While the hindrances, sloth, and torpor cause us to retreat from challenges, courage does the opposite. It is energized and inspired by them. When we cultivate virya in this form, we're able to rise to the occasion and move onward to our aim. It doesn't mean we aren't scared or that we don't have doubts. It means we're willing to act in the face of those fears, in the face of those doubts. It welcomes fear and doubt and understands them as necessary elements to our growth. Some famous examples of people who demonstrate this quality of courage or people like Nelson Mandela, Gandhi, Martin Luther King, and Jesus, 
In Jesus' unwavering commitment to love, while his hands and feet were nailed to the cross, he cried out, Father, forgive them. Jesus had many opportunities, as well as every reason to retreat from Jerusalem, to escape persecution. But it was courage, this form of viria, that kept him on his path, to become a living symbol of love and self-sacrifice, not only for his people, but for all humankind. Now you may be thinking, well, sure, Jesus can do this, but he's Jesus, the Son of Man. I'm just plain Jane. This quality of courage, though, isn't reserved for saints and legends, nor is it fixed, something you have or you don't. It's a quality of mind that can be cultivated and strengthened. And we see it everywhere in the hearts and minds of ordinary folk like you and me. We see it in mothers who sacrifice their bodies, their time, and their careers for their children. We see it in extreme athletes like the Wim Hofs of the world who continually test the limits of their bodies. We see it in our school teachers who keep showing up for their students despite their low pay. We see it in our police officers, firefighters, and other first responders. We see it in the women who spoke up against offenders in the Me Too movement. We see it right now in the people protesting in Iran for basic human rights. You too can cultivate this quality of courage. It'll just require you to come to the boundary of your comfort levels and briefly peek over the edge. It takes courage to challenge ourselves, to extend our limits, to really see what's possible. As the Burmese meditation master Sayadaw Utejaniya said, avoiding difficult situations or running away from them does not usually take much skill or effort, but doing so prevents you from testing your own limits and from growing. The ability to face difficulties can be crucial for your growth. However, if you're faced with a situation in which the difficulties are simply overwhelming, you should take a step back for the time being and wait until you've built up enough virya or courage to deal with it skillfully. Really take in this point. We don't want to simply jump into a situation without giving it any thought. We want to discern with wisdom whether doing so is a skillful means to our end or not. Sometimes it isn't. Sometimes we simply aren't ready, and facing the challenge will just lead to more suffering. So we need to step back and seek out some smaller wins before we come back to it. There are some small practical ways you can start to cultivate this element of viria. With your meditation practice, for example, you can sit for just a few minutes longer than you're comfortable with and try to notice the energy that comes from teasing that boundary. Or you can commit to not move a muscle during one of your sits, you know, no matter how uncomfortable you may get. You can also learn about this element of virya from one of the greatest teachers I know, the cold. You can do polar plunges or maybe just turn the shower to the coldest setting for the last 30 seconds and really take an interest in the mind as it faces that discomfort and fear. 
there are bonus points too with this one. Science is telling us that this helps boost our immunity against the common cold, increases circulation and metabolism, and reduces inflammation, all of which lead to a longer, healthier life. So give it a try. Or maybe for you, strengthening this element of viria or courage means putting yourself out there socially, you know, pushing that comfort level. You can face your fear of rejection and try to make some friends. Or ask that cute guy you keep thinking of to grab dinner with you. Or you can put your art or writing out into the world. Even though you're terrified, people won't like it or appreciate it. Or maybe you can apply for that job you've always wanted, but haven't because you fear you'll get turned down. I came to explore this dimension of Viria over the course of my 20s, out on the mountains with my snow leopard. Every summer solstice, we would hike a bit further than we had ever had. Near the beginning, for one of our first summer solstice adventures, we hiked a trail here in the Wasatch called Desolation Trail, an 18-mile hike to Desolation Lake, where we camped for the night before making the 18-mile trek home. The next year, we went there and back in the time the sun was up, clocking in 36 miles in one day. And the next year, we did 48 miles in two days, bagging six peaks over 10,000 feet. Before each of these hikes, and for much of the time during them, there was a big part of me that thought there was no way I could do it. But each time, this courageous dimension of Viria came to the rescue and gave me the energy I needed. It showed me that my body is capable of so much more than I had imagined. If you need some energy in your life, seek out some challenges. Play at the boundaries of your comfort levels. Know what you want and go out and get it, despite your doubts and fears. Let the Buddha's roar of courage motivate you. Let only my skin and sinews and bones remain. Let my blood dry up. I will not give up until I have accomplished what can be done by human effort and endeavor. The final dimension of Viria we'll explore today is perseverance. Where courage gives us strength to face challenges, perseverance keeps us going. This dimension of Viria is not one to be underestimated. It's vital to our goal of liberation, which, as I said, is a lifelong commitment and journey. Suzuki Roshi in Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind says After you've practiced for a while, you'll realize it's not possible to make rapid, extraordinary progress. Even though you try very hard, the progress is always little by little. It's not like going out in a shower in which you know when you get wet. In a fog, you don't know you're getting wet. But as you keep walking, you get wet little by little. If your mind has any ideas of progress, you may say, Oh, this pace is terrible. But actually, it is not. When you get wet in a fog, it's very difficult to dry yourself. So there's no need to worry about progress. Just be sincere and make full effort in each moment. This is enough. This is how practice works. It takes time. 
They can't just learn to rhyme like Eminem overnight. He's been at it consistently for decades. The other rappers who collaborate with him are astonished at the effort he puts in, saying he treats it like a 9-to-5 job with only a 30-minute lunch break. Despite what some Buddhist suttas say about people becoming fully enlightened at the snap of a finger, it takes time to master the hindrances, to free ourselves from greed, hatred, and delusion, to free ourselves from suffering. Our practice will unfold steadily over time when we apply this persevering dimension of virya. I heard another great story from Goldstein, whose book Mindfulness I've been pulling a lot from for these episodes on the Noble Eightfold Path. Anyway, he tells a story about the famous Tibetan master Milarepa, who, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but as legend has it, at a young age, he went on a revengeful killing spree at his mother's request. And then later in his life, when he encountered the Buddha's teachings, he realized he needed to get his shit together or else his karma would catch up to him. So he went and lived in a cave until he perfected his heart and mind. And then he spent the rest of his life teaching. Over the years, Milarepa grew very close to his chief disciple and shared many of his teachings with him. But the chief disciple thought Milarepa was saving the highest teaching, you know, the real esoteric one, the secret transmission, for the end. So not long before Milarepa died, the two of them trekked off to some remote place in the mountains. And when they got there, Milarepa had the chief disciple set everything up perfectly, really setting the stage for something special. The disciple was stoked, you know, super eager to receive the secret transmission. So when everything was ready, Milarepa came very close to his disciple. Then he bent over, lifted his robe, and showed his disciple the calluses on his ass. The secret transmission? Virya, in the form of perseverance. So what's the secret to success? Put in the work and don't give up. The long game can be tough at times, no doubt. Whether it's raising kids, going to school, maintaining a relationship, putting in the years to get your dream job, working through grief, or just sticking with your spiritual practice decade after decade. Inevitably, there will be times when we run low on hope and fuel. So here are a few tools to keep in your bag for when you find yourself in those situations and need a little viria in the form of perseverance. First, see if you can connect again to what first sparked your interest in your journey. Was it some personal experience? Maybe of tremendous joy or interest? Or maybe of suffering? Was there a deep thirst for meaning or purpose in your life? A thirst for freedom or understanding? Or was it compassion for another? Whatever it was, see if you can reconnect with this motivation, interest, or inspiration. Let it rekindle some fire in you. Second, you can try contemplating the inevitability of death and the preciousness of this human life. We too often take advantage of the unbelievable conditions, this miracle we've been given, this precious human birth, body, and experience. Somewhat unconsciously, we think 
we'll never run out of time or that we'll be able to pursue our interests or deepest passions later. But thinking the conditions will always be favorable is simply a delusion. Anything can happen at any time. And eventually, you can't avoid it. You will get sick, you will grow old, and you will die. Just a couple weeks ago, we had our friend over to our place. And that night, she was working through a headache, which she expressed had been there for a couple weeks. A few days later, the headaches got bad enough to make her go to the hospital. Turns out, her entire life changed in that moment. She was diagnosed with a diffuse midline glioma, an aggressive and rare type of brain tumor. Our life, this human body, this experience, this very moment is precious. The Buddha said, we've arrived at a great treasure island, the treasure island of this precious human birth. Here, now, with this body, with this life, with this opportunity, we can come to understand and cultivate all the causes of peace, happiness, and freedom. I think I'll end with this quote from a 14th century monk, Tsongkhapa. Cherish your body. It is yours this one time only. The human form is one with great difficulty. It is easy to lose. All worldly things are brief, like lightning in the sky. This life, you must know, is a tiny splash of a raindrop, a thing of beauty that disappears even as it comes into being. Therefore, set your aspiration and make use of every day and night to achieve it. Well, may you love and cherish yourself. May you be grateful for this precious human life. May you hold its 10,000 joys and its 10,000 sorrows with love, care, and compassion. May you truly be at peace.